Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. Uh, and this week is a journal review, um, and this one we picked out um, because it's about sea otters, and sea otters are super cute, uh, and we don't get to talk about them as much because they're not as prevalent here in the Sailor Sea, but they are becoming more so. Um, and then also on, on Facebook, I saw somebody mention something about how they were measuring things in this one, and, and you'll see why we thought it was a, a cute measurement tool. <laughs> um, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So this is a rapid consumption of kelp crab implications for sea otters in Washington state uh, in the Northwestern Naturalist by Johnson et al. 2023. Um, so with that, we will get right into it because it's super exciting. Um, it's so, sea otters. Sea otter I mean, love sea otters. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, I think that I don't know what to say. <laughs> Just so cute. Um, but they they're and and we'll get into into why they're so cute and fluffy. Um, but there's a lot of history that we'll we'll, we'll go over a, a, the brief history of of that in the introduction here about where uh, where we're at with these guys in our area. Um, so to give you that background, um, sea otters were historically you know occurred off the coast of North Pacific from Japan to Baja California. Um, but I and I didn't realize this number. I knew it was bad, but they were hunted. Um, because of their fur and if you have ever felt the the, the pelt of, of a sea otter you understand i like the first time i felt it i go i absolutely know why they were hunted close to extinction because it's it's insane hmm. and see it's ridiculously soft like you yeah. can't and and pl- i mean plush too like it's not just soft like it's thick and it's yeah yeah they yeah, have one very... million hairs per square inch exactly there you go so. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So because of that, because they were so luxurious with their coats, um, they lost 99% of their numbers. I mean, they were as, probably as close to extinction as you can get for the most part. Yeah. Which, um, and like you said, it's, it is kind of crazy because you know that they, they were hunted really, really intensely. But when they say like 90, 90%, 99% of the original numbers yeah. were gone, like that's that number is just like, whoa. It's staggering. Yeah. Like, how do you <laughs> yeah. come back from that? <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Oregon, Washington, and D.C., so this we're basically focusing on the Pacific Northwest here, so Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia that we're going to be comparing to California's uh, sea otters um, for various reasons we'll talk about. But um, the this the Oregon, Washington, D.C. Uh, groups were hunted to local extinction in the 1900s. They were just gone. They got rid of all of them. Um, they relocated some from Alaska to Washington in the late, 60s and early 70s um but no they didn't really take for whatever reason they did they did quite a few of these relocations in different areas to try to repopulate the historic ranges um and they worked in other places but in in the sailor sea in particular in this area and along the coast i think they did better along the coast than they did like within the sailor sea here Mm -hmm. um and i think these the ones that we're going to be talking about are really kind of more on the coast um there but uh, it's interesting of why, like why why does it work one place and not another if they are seemingly the same ecosystem type type thing, but we just don't know enough about all that underlying factors. 
Right. And especially kind of odd because we did have them here at one time. It's not that it's a completely novel environment. So it, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting what those drivers are. Mm-hmm. And that you and can't we just, don't know short answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you can't just put something back once it's gone. Like you may have changed right. the ecosystem to the point where now it's not, it's just not the same. Yeah. Um, so there are three subspecies. Our subspecies here in uh, with Alaska, British Columbia, Washington is the Anhydra lutris canyoni. Um, and then there's the one in California. Um, and other one, there's three total. Um, but so because of this, um, the, the local extinctions and almost all extinction, uh, and then the relocations, they have this patchy distribution for, throughout their range. So, you know, it goes from California to Alaska, but then there's like this blank spot <laughs> in much of Oregon and Washington. Um, and so they, it's, a, it's an interesting one because you, you have the same subspecies, but in these different patches that are in different ecosystems. And, you know, is it, what this paper kind of brings up is, is it okay to look at all of these as the same thing? Like looking at all of them at the same, they, they all eat the same thing. They all do the same thing. Well, do they, right? Do they, are they foraging on the same things? And what does that mean for their population levels? Um, so um, the other important thing from that comes from this patchy distribution is that you're going to have different groups doing different collection of data. Um, and that happens even if there is continuous distribution, but even more so when it's patchy like this. Uh, and so in order to compare apples to apples, it's really, you really need the same protocol that everybody's doing. And we, we come across this on a lot more, a lot of different studies where, well, you can compare these two to a degree, but because they were slightly different methodologies, you can't exactly say that they're exactly the same. Um, and they can measure, there's a lot of different life history and demographic things that they use to infer, you know, how well a population is doing. Um, and diet and foraging behavior is one of those that is used a lot because it's, it shows how much they're eating. And then if you know how much they eat, you know how much they can put toward reproduction and that kind of thing, population growth. Um, so what's cool about the um, sea otters is that they do have a standardized protocol for collecting foraging data, which is unique in a lot of ways, because not all species, most species, I think, don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allows um, this apple to apple comparison. And the other great thing about these guys as compared to other marine mammals is they have to come to the surface to eat, <laughs> unlike mm-hmm. just about everybody else that can eat under the water. or do. Right. So you can actually watch what they're eating versus just studying their poop to find out after the fact what they're eating. So this is exactly. pretty cool. You can be like, oh, they're actually eating that particular type of crab. Awesome. And the other cool thing about the visual of seeing it is you can see how much of it they consume, which will be important as we get into this study. Yes. So, but that's a really important. it in, again, in their scat, you might find, you know, shells from kelp crab. Great. They're eating kelp. How much of in each individual kelp crab are they actually consuming? Which, like I said, we will get into why that's specifically important in a little bit. Yeah. But it comes to that foraging efficiency and like how much of that are they, you know, are they eating the whole thing? Are they only eating part of it? And why are they doing that? And like, as, as, as you mentioned, we'll get into why that's important, but it's really is, it's, I think we would all love to be able to see, like when we see porpoises catch fish and stuff, especially the larger ones that they've been catching lately. And like, can we, can we see how you eat that? Can you just, can you see that, we, that you consumed it? That'd be great. Can you just do it up here? Please? That'd be great. Um, but they can't. So, 
Um, so it, it, it makes this kind of study be able to be done because they have the standardized protocol and they can watch them eat it. They're literally observing and documenting it that way. Um, so I'm sure most everybody knows that um, if you've been through high school, you've probably heard it at least once in your science classes about keystone predators. And sea otters are like the gold standard for keystone predators, right? That they can, they have a, a um, not proportional effect on the, envi on the environment as other species do. So you take the, for example, you take sea otters out, they usually eat a lot of sea urchins. Um, the sea urchins, if the otters are gone, the sea urchins explode and all the kelp forests die because the sea urchins eat the um, holdfast for the kelp. So that's like the very typical example that is used in, in a lot of science classes for um, what a keystone predator is and why it's important, right? You don't think, oh, they don't eat kelp, so they're not gonna affect the kelp populations, but they do because of what they eat. Um, so I like what they put it. They said the rate at which they consume prey, the prey species they consume and their population dynamics can create cascading effects, right? Mm -hmm. So what they're eating and how they're eating it and how much they're eating um, affects the ecosystem as a whole. Um, so what their uh, um, background for this or the idea is that using observational data um, can be used to estimate the energy intake, right? So how much they're eating and if you know what size that ant that animal is and then if you, you know, go catch your own crab, for example, you can measure how much biomass is there and then you can get basically how much energy that um, uh, otter is taking in. And then you know from other studies how much their energy, you know, how much energy they use for different processes. You can then infer uh, and use models and whatnot to see how much that would affect population growth. Um, so being able to see the data, see see what they're eating, um, they are able to uh, estimate these energy intake rates that are affect population status. Um, but there are biases as to everything, uh, and especially with observations. Um, so they, um, basically if it's a larger prey item, it's going to be easier to ID what they're eating, right? Right. Makes um, sense. It's like if you're eating a giant pizza, that's a lot easier to see than if you're eating a peanut. <laughs> what <Right>. you're eating. <laughs> I don't know why I picked those foods, but there you go. That's a, it's an effective analogy. I like right? it. Right. <laughs> Um, so, and then the, they're also, you know, depending how far away they are from shore, it's going to be harder to see. And then that's even affects the size, right? The smaller the item is, the farther away they are, the harder it's going to be to see what they're eating and how they're eating it. So because of this, they use a simulation model to account for this non-random nature of that missing data, right? It's not random, we know which parts are missing and you can um, use special fancy math to, to deal with that. Um, and I love this one, it's called Sea Otter Foraging Analysis or SOFA. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now I just imagine a sea otter is lounging on a sofa. Oh, there you go. That's all they're eating. <laughs> Couch potatoes. I love it. Um, so this gives an unbiased estimate of the energy and biomass intake rates and the diet composition that you can then compare within and between sites um, as long as the same prey is available, right? So you can compare apples to apples if you're looking at the same prey being taken in different locations. Um, but this is very important in understanding the foraging ecology of a species and if that varies over region and what that means. So that's where the the kind of like why they're gonna why why they're trying to do this study uh, in the first place and how they can do it. 
Um, so the, the, as with all good science, the first thing comes with a question, right? And so there was another um, recent paper that showed that handling time of kelp crabs in Washington was one and a half to two times faster than California or British Columbia. So this is what kicked it all off. They're like, well, that's weird. <laughs> Why is that? Um, but it was unconfirmed whether it was only kelp crabs that they were faster with versus other prey. Um, it was unknown why there would be a regional difference in the first place. You know, you'd have to look at the prey items. Um, and um, was it, you know, was there smaller prey or was there, in, in, is there smaller prey in, in, Cal in Washington? So therefore they can eat it faster than in California. Um, or is there individual differences in prey handling? So that sparked the question of, well, we need to do more, a more dedicated study on the specific question to understand these answers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as like I've said many times before, science provides, good science provides maybe one answer and then gives you three or four more. So this is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then also just, you know, how that then relates to the model that they're basing all of this information on, mm -hmm. is that accurate, right? So if they're if they're consuming things a lot faster, that has pretty big implications for this model that they're they're using as an estimate of sea otter population status, so. Right, and so important in that we need to update these things, just as mm -hmm. we were talking about with porpoises. Well, we updated now that we see them handling these larger prey items. What does that mean? We need to... Right. If we're using these models to estimate population growth and abundance with all these other things, they need to be the most accurate and the most up to date mm -hmm. as to what the animals are doing and eating right now. Yeah, that's sure. a great point. Um, <clears throat> so they do find that kelp crabs compose eight to twenty percent of their diet, like the occurrence of the times they see them eating it, um, and up to thirty-five percent of the time where it's a primary prey item, where that's like a special place that they go to eat. Um, uh, and the fact that prey is found in other locations in California, they can compare it across regions. So this, the kelp crab basically is a good one to look at for these energy intake studies. Mm -hmm. So the three objectives were compare handling times between kelp crab uh, versus non-kelp crab prey. So other crabs or um, mollusks. Uh, between Washington, California and British Columbia. Um, then the second one was to compare the handling times of kelp crab specialists in California to the animals in Washington and BC. Um, and this is to compare like, are the, if these are kelp crab specialists here in Washington, how do they compare faster or slower than those in those other areas? And then do kelp crabs in Washington have a different biomass? They call it biomass to width ratio compared to California. And I think we can just, um, simplify this to to mass or size um rather than saying yeah. to width ratio every time I mean it's basically how much stuff is in there for the size of the animal yeah yeah um so those are the three objectives um we're going to get into the methods now we're not going to get too detailed because it is a lot of modeling math that they that they did <laughs> I'm like okay that's very good um we're not going to go over that. um so to I mean, what I love about the study too is that the main part of it, besides the stats and math, is that they just were watching animals. Mm -hmm. right? The power. It's very, yeah, it's very much back to like classic ethology, like just observing the animals. What do you observe? What's different? Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, there's a lot that you can just by looking at the animals. And I think people forget that, that, you know, mm -hmm. the observational studies that are done can be very powerful in what they can provide. 
Yeah. So they observed um, the otters eating kelp crabs, um, cancer crabs, which I had no idea that was a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unfortunate name. Uh, clams and razor clams, which I think it's funny they just said clams in general and then specifically razor clams. But I wonder if they that was like a like a, they couldn't identify the species of clam, but they can tell by the shape of it that it's a clam. It's not a razor clam. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, so they observed those. Those are the prey items that they chose to keep in their in their um, in the study, right? If they were eating other things, they didn't keep that observation in the analysis. Um, and compared between Washington, British Columbia, and Canada and California, not Canada, Lord, um, <laughs> British Columbia is Canada. Okay, so um, so then they um, so that was to observe the, like the handling times between the three regions, and then. Um, and that was just, uh, you know, ob- people on land observing from shore, for the most part, I believe, um, uh, watching these animals eat uh, as they come to the surface. Um, then to compare with the um, the specialists in California, they observed tagged otters in California to untagged otters in BC and Washington. And why that's important is because the tagged otters in California, they know the individuals. So they can say this individual ate this much and this size and Mm. whatnot. So they know that that individual specifically is a a kelp crab specialist. Mm -hmm. We don't have that data for the BC and Washington animals um, because we don't have them tagged and we don't have the IDs. So we can only say that population level wise, they may or may not be specialists, um, but more information is needed to be able to <clears throat> to see if they're individual. Um, and all these studies were over various, but o- generally overlapping years. They weren't all exactly at the same time frame of the um, collections, but close enough that it was in the same time, time area. Um, so now we're getting into the measurement. And so, so the question is, how do you measure a a prey item that you can't actually measure, right? You're just looking at the animal eating it. Um, there's lots of different ways you can do, you can measure things that are far away and using, you know, red dots on and lines and something else in the frame of your camera that you know the width and the length of and then extrapolate and do all this crazy stuff. But <laughs> they used sea uh, otter four paw width. Which I love because if you've ever seen pictures of sea otters eating stuff, they're holding it in their paws up to their mouth. So you literally have both the prey item and the paw in the frame, mm-hmm. which is so smart. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it, it's, it kind of goes to the, you know, the, the memes on, on the internet that are, uh, Americans will use anything besides the metric system to, to measure and compare things with. <laughs> but in this case, they, they can't actually measure it because the animals are eating it. So it totally makes sense, but it's just great that, you know, now we have another way of measuring things. Like how, how many mm-hmm. sea otter paws are you? Right. Four paw width. <laughs> right. Um, so <clears throat> without getting into too much details, they would say, is the prey relating to the sea otter four paw width? Is it um, one or less a paw width, uh, two or less, three or less, four or less in anywhere in between there? Um, and then they have within that A, B, and C. So one A would be the smallest third of under one one paw width, um, B would be the middle third, and C would be the largest third. And the other cool thing is then they can actually go in and quantify the size relative to the sea otter paw, and they have now all these different categories that they can run through their model, which is super helpful. Yeah, so um, it's it's a really cool 
ingenious way to measure things when you can't actually measure the thing you're trying to measure. Um, the important thing to note too is that the northern sea otters are bigger than southern sea otters in in general length. So they did they did do some fancy stats to see to to actually make sure that that uh, if that introduced any bias, like if they needed to adjust the prey size per subspecies to make sure that they were comparing apples to apples, which was a smart thing to think about. Um, and they basically, long story short, they it, they did not have to. <laughs> the difference was not big enough to worry about. Right. Um, so then the, uh, to look at the kelp crab abundance and, um, uh, uh, they, they don't, we don't, we don't have good studies on kelp crab abundance. <laughs> uh, it's unknown. So they use percent occurrence of kelp crabs in the sea otter diet from when they saw them eating it to basically, um, have a index of availability. So they could compare those, this one thing that's great about ratios is you can com compare those between different areas because they are, uh, uh, you know, a ratio of, you know, the two things. So, right. It's not exact numbers that you're, you're quoting. Right. So you can say like, oh, well, two out of four and, you know, 12 out of 24 is both 50%, but you can't compare mm -hmm. two and 20 and 12 or uh, as the same numbers. Right. Um, so they did that for the abundance. Um, and then they grouped the prey items into small and large sizes for most of them. And then a couple of the other ones, they did small, medium, large, depending on the species of how they needed to to, to, to group those. Um, so they do a lot of comparison between the small and large sizes in particular. Mm -hmm. um, for the kelp biomass, because uh, they want to find out how much, basically how much meat they're getting from these animals, uh, that they did have to collect the crabs in Washington coast. And then they compared them with a previous study in California um, that was already measured. Uh, they chose the sites because there were areas where kelp crab was prim the primary prey item. Um, unfortunately, the crabs did have to die for this portion of the study, uh, so they actually froze them before they processed them to kill them, um, and then they used uh, these various models to do morphometric analysis to see what the width, you know, the width versus the weight and how that correlated with their biomass. One thing that I thought was really interesting with this too, again, just a really nice note that they picked up on to make this more accurate, was they also, for the larger crabs, because they know when sea otters consume them, they actually take off the carapace of the crab, which is basically the top part of the shell. So they actually did remove the carapace for the larger, um, larger crab species, larger crab species, larger crab individuals um, before weighing them. So they could actually get a realistic estimate of what the sea otter would actually be consuming versus additional weight from the the shell that the animal's not actually eating. So that was right. just again yeah, they... like one of those nice little points that they noted, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's it. they noted that as a edible biomass versus just straight up biomass. You know? Right, exactly. Because the and smaller ones, they just crunch those, on up. <laughs> but the smaller ones, they just ate. So it's not that they yeah, can't eat They the just crunch base. them. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it makes sense though, big. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think apparently like, um, apparently I was informed that the, the shell of the smaller kelp crab is softer too. So I think oh. it's actually legitimately like more easy to chew. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Things yeah. you learn. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Did you know that <laughs> kelp crabs, smaller kelp crabs have softer shells? Um, yeah, so that is about it for the methods. Um, uh, that gives us a good bunching uh, way to go forward into the results, but we will do that in just a second after we take a quick break. Okay. 
Hello, we are back. And thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for coming home. Um, so now we're going to get into the results. Um, and uh, basically, like the big takeaway from this is that the handling times for kelp crabs in Washington for both small and large prey were significantly faster than California or British Columbia. So these guys are darn good at eating kelp crab. Yep. And it ranged from anywhere. I didn't, I didn't lay out the specific one, you know, comparisons, but like anywhere from 24 to 61% faster, depending on which region you're comparing, you're comparing. Yeah. So it's not just like a slight variation. Yeah. That's what you call a significant difference. Right. <laughs> they are definitely doing it uh, faster. Um, what's interesting though, is that for the specialists, so now if you're, so that was just like the general handling time between regions. So Washington guys are just good at eating cow crabs, but when they compare the specialists, you have the small crabs and the large crabs that were different. So for small crabs, there was no significant difference between Washington, California, or British Columbia, or no, sorry, Washington and California, California were 4% faster than British Columbia. So a little bit of weirdness there. But the large mm -hmm. crabs, Washington guys were 41% faster than in California, but not significantly different between California and DC. So specifically, the Washington guys seem to be better at eating larger crabs. Right. Which is fascinating. Yeah. Like specifically those. And so we'll go into the discussion about like, well, why does that why? Right. Yeah. If it's just if it's just kelp crabs, you would expect both to be fa be faster. So if you have questions, stay tuned. We'll get there. <laughs> we will get there. Just a second. Um, the there was a bit more um, percent abundance. So again, the percentage of how often they came up from their dives with kelp crab in Washington. So there's twelve point eight percent of those dives in Washington, nine point two percent in BC, and seven point three percent in California. So that kind of leads to some idea that you might think, well, they're just more common here. So that might be why they are more likely to eat them uh, and be and specialize in them here versus those other locations, specifically California. Um, so that's a, a possibility. We'll chat about it in a second. Um, and then what's really funny, and, and it's like this is like a whole paragraph in the results that I'm just summing up into one line, but other prey items varied. Like there was no consistency right. <laughs> across anything really, any of the regions about the other prey items. So, and so just as a reminder, like the reason they were looking at that was to see if there were any other prey items where they seemed a lot faster processing or, or handling those than in other regions. So they were like, oh, maybe they're also really fast at processing razor clams, for example. Right. So there was a purpose for looking at this. Like, is this unique to kelp crabs or is this just like they're just faster eaters in general? Yeah, like um, but that does not seem to be the case. Just, like, fantastic at all. They just chow down. But yeah, that does not seem to be the case. <laughs> so, apparently only for cocoa. And I mean, you know, that makes sense. I mean, everybody's got their favorite snacks and you're going to eat those faster than you eat other ones, potentially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, and so then the last part of the results really, or at least that I have, um, was the morphometrics for the crabs. They, they did take out 66 crabs varied from 10 to 62 millimeters in uh, width, um, but there was greater biomass to width ratio. So basically bigger size per rate per width 
um, and kelp crabs from Washington and then California. So again, you know, is it that these these kelp crabs up here are just honkers? <laughs> and so therefore, right? yeah. Makes if sense. They're honkers then, and these guys are specializing them in some, for some reason, then they might be better at doing so. Mm -hmm. So, um, so with their uh, paw, paw width, so the larger, which I think were like uh, the, the at least three and four paw width uh, mm -hmm. size crabs uh, were uh, more common and uh, Washington otters ate them faster, um, which is pretty cool. So then, so let's get into some of the things we've been hinting about that discussion. Um, so the overarching idea here is that this study has suggested and sh really shown that sea otters in Washington may be specializing on kelp crabs and that there are behavioral differences that allow them to consume them faster than in British Columbia or California. Mm -hmm. um, and as always, why is that important, right? Well, that's important because it can affect our understanding of the overall, excuse me, um, Washington sea otter population status because what we talked about before, right? What they're eating and how much they're eating and how often they're eating it goes into how fast they can reproduce and population growth and um, those models that help us understand that um, for conservation and future population trends. <clears throat> Right. And so one thing could... we'll get into in, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say one thing that we'll get into a little bit more with that specifically is that part of this is also being able to determine what sort of trajectory that population's on, right? So mm -hmm. by, by looking at this, can you tell, okay, the population's actually nowhere near carrying capacity. There's tons more right. space for these guys to grow. There's lots of food. Awesome. Or you know, they can actually infer from these models whether or not the animals are nearing carrying capacity, they're starting to vie for different food sources, whatever it is. So mm -hmm. it's actually quite, in, like, there's a lot of depth to it, which is really fascinating. Yeah. And also, like, you could say, like, well, they should, with the their energy intake, they should be population exploding, but they're not. So then that exactly. tells you something, that it's not right. prey that is the problem. Right. So um, they, so the, the first thing they looked at was, like, does kelp crab morphology drive the difference in handling time that they saw? Um, and basically the answer is no. <laughs> so, um, because, because the Washington have the larger biomass. So you would expect them to eat them faster if they're smaller, right? That would just make mm -hmm. some logical sense, right? The smaller they are- like the popcorn. Easier. Right, <laughs> crab popcorn. We're coming up with the best food analogies in this episode, I have to say. I'm saying, I, I like it, but now it's because yep. Um, and it's also close to dinner time as we're recording. <laughs> so there's that. Um, so yeah, so you, you would expect those large, you know, little popcorn kelp crabs would be easier, but the kelp crabs are larger and they're still faster at doing so. So it's not it's not that we have smaller kelp crabs up here versus down there and then that is a, a driver of why we're the faster. Um, interestingly, there was less variation in the biomass to width relationship the size basically for Washington kelp crabs than in California kelp crabs. So ours were more consistent in size basically than they found in California. Now this could be due to a lot of things. <laughs> there, a lot of times the size will depend on the habitat, right? Different habitat, species in different habitat will have different size ratios um, just based on where they can live. Um, they, the morphology varies throughout their life and they go through different molts, just like other, uh, crustaceans do. 
Uh, and so this is where some bias might come in in how the data was collected because it was collected over a shorter time period in Washington than the ones that they compared with California. So because of that, the one in California may have covered more life stages and so therefore right. had a wider variation. Right, which is important to, to mention, especially with something like the crab species. Right. So this this difference in whether the, the, the variation between those two locations may be an artifact of data collection or it could actually be a thing, but um, mm -hmm. that has to be just, uh, looked into further. Um, and then size ranges differ between the regions too. So again, you know, the Northern Sea Otters are bigger than the Southern Sea Otters, right? I have that right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there, there, there could be differences in those prey sizes too uh, that need to right. be taken into account. Um, and as Kat mentioned before, they eat the small kelp crabs whole like little popcorn, but they remove the carapace of the larger one because I, you know what, this is my other analogy. I was thinking of, it's like when you take a little piece, you have a piece of cake and you get a little piece of fondant, that's okay to eat. But if you have like the fondants, like the entire top of your cake, you're not going to eat that fondant because it's just not good to eat. Right. <laughs> um... If you know me, if you, if uh, any of you listeners, um, know me. Uh, I like to watch a lot of baking shows, so <laughs> now you know. There you go. Yeah, um, but so, um, so it's the edible that edible biomass versus the full biomass, and they couldn't directly compare between the two studies because there were differences in methods. So again, that that that's why it's so important to have those apples to apples comparison. Okay. Um, so that may be why there's a difference between them and why Washington have a faster handling time because of that difference in, in how they collected the biomass. Um, and they did note that they need more research to know if the California versus Washington crabs are energetically similar um, because that would affect the energy intake rate. So we're assuming that the relationships that we have for these prey items in how much size there is for how much edible biomass they have are the same for these two regions. Um, but if it's not, then that could affect and make things a little bit different. Right. Cause if the Washington kelp crabs are just really chock full of like protein and minerals and nutrients versus the California ones, it's like, that's going to, that is going to make a big difference actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, if you, that's the case, like you could have a smaller crab, but getting more nutrients and better efficiency than a larger crab in another area and vice, mm -hmm. vice versa. So it's the, it's the equivalent of eating like farm salmon versus wild salmon, right? Like right. they, they actually. They contain significantly different nutrient breakdowns, even mm -hmm. though it's technically the same fish species. So it, it is actually quite important. That's one that people might be able to understand. Mm -hmm. a bit well, more and easily. then even the difference between eating a candy bar for 230 calories versus a pe peanut butter and bread sandwich for the mm -hmm. same calories, right? You're going to get more right. nutrients out of the not candy than <laughs> you are out of the candy. So right. something like that is also a, a good analogy. Um, so, uh, so, but, but taking the study as it is and the, and, and the information that we have now, um, it shows that the energy intake rates are up to one third higher than expected based on the current population growth rates and densities. So again, based on the knowledge we have, we would expect that with these, with how the population is growing for it to be one third of that intake rate, right? It's, it's they're taking so much more in than we thought they were based on how their population is growing. Right. 
Um, so this is really important for population regulation. Um, and this difference means that we could be way off in, in understanding, you know, why they're not growing. So like, oh, maybe they just don't have food. Well, this is obviously not true. <laughs> the animals that are there are getting plenty of food. So why are they not doing well, right? High intake rates, but low population means there's something other than resource abundance that is limiting the population. It's not yeah. necessarily food. Right. Um, and in other areas, it, and they compared these to other locations where higher uh, intake rates correlate directly with higher population growth. Like that's a very normal thing. So why is that not happening in Washington? And so this is, that's one thing that really was important in the study that that showed that um, there's something else going on as to why these guys aren't doing, doing great. Yeah. Which again, like you said, just for, if we, if we really do want these guys to continue and thrive in this area, we have to start looking at what that might be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we do, because the otters, like I said, are adorable. <laughs> but it's just, it's like you said at the top, where it's like one, one question answered leads to like 10 more questions, which is, again, it's kind of, kind of a fun cycle to see just within this one paper. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I guess it's only fun if you like science, because <laughs> sometimes that's, that might be frustrating, that's true. right? That's true. <laughs> like, I think it's great, but I could see it being frustrating for other people. Like that is true. But we just Good answered point. it. But now we have five more questions. Um, it's like it's like if, if answering a question to a to a toddler. You know, and you're like they're like okay, great. And now I have a thousand more. Yep. Um, okay, so these faster handling times do indicate that they are likely specialists. But again, we don't know if these are individual specialists or if it's a population level specialist. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times like a population level specialization will become from the fact that there's prey limitations. So if there's fewer things to eat and that's the only thing you can eat, you're going to get gosh darn good at eating that one thing because mm -hmm. um, you're going to specialize on that prey. So what's interesting is that they found that the prey diversity was actually less diverse in Washington versus California because the higher in latitude you go diversity, it's harder to live in cold places. So that reduces, so it could be possible that there's just fewer options for them. And so they become more specialized in a particular uh, species. Um, they did find that a higher proportion of, in the diet in Washington had um, more kelp crab, the higher, and the, they looked at ones where they had multi-captured eyes. So um, that was also higher proportion of coming up with kelp crabs. So it may be that these, these in general are more important for Washington otters than California or BC. Um, and again, so they're more adept at handling them. Right. Right. So yeah, simply because they're handling them more frequently because it's a larger part of their diet. Exactly. Um, but you, we, again, like there's other things, they need a more dedicated study to show that specific, like explicitly, right? This is just yeah. inferred from the data that we have. So they then looked at the Washington otters are faster at handling large crabs versus the California specialists. Um, so maybe there are fewer large crabs in California, but right. um, but California got more large crabs in Washington. So when they looked at it, so that may Very not be confusing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I was like, wait a minute, wait this, wait. So um, yeah, so they looked at the percentage of how many larger large crabs each place got, and the California otters got more more large. Crabs. So that may not be the case that there's just larger ones in Washington. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Um, but the other option is that Washington otters um, may not be as uh, this was a, this was an interesting one. The Washington otters may not be as thorough when handling them, so there may be subtle aspects of it that are missed by observers. 
Um, well, so that maybe they're not as thorough. So maybe if you're doing well with food and you eat something, you start, you catch something and then it gets really hard to eat the innards. Well, it, it might just be easier to dump it and go catch something else. Mm -hmm. So in places where the food is not a, li a limiting issue, that may be happening. So maybe they're not fully eating the whole crab. They're just eating it and then getting bored of it and then throwing it off and going catching something else. Um, and, but if there's, you know, if there's a food limitation, you're definitely going to be like, I got to eat every single little bit of this because I'm not going to get more food. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an important distinction of like, well, why is, you know, why this might be happening? Um, right. They also said that the, you know, subtle aspects of the, um, the, them eating may be missed by observers. So, you know, we're not going to be able to catch every little small thing that happens and, or, or know that, oh, they definitely scooped out everything from that carapace versus not eating all of it, um, what level they're doing that at. So they were just saying more study on that would help more specific taking videos so you can go down and really fine tune and see exactly what the animals are eating. Um, so with that, that is uh, most of the, the, you know, the kind of the end product here. We don't, we know that they, they eat faster, large, uh, they eat kelp crabs faster here in Washington than they do in other places. They may be specialists. We don't know if there's individuals or, or population-wide. Um, and we basically just need to know more about what these animals are eating in different regions. So they found that there is significant geographic variability in foraging behavior and that we maybe we shouldn't be comparing what they're eating in California with what they're eating in Washington with what they're eating in British Columbia because there are these differences, whether they are based on the prey or the... Um, or the predators and how they're in the behaviors that they're doing. Right, and as we said at the top, that then has very significant ramifications for whether or not these models that they are typically using are appropriate, or do they need to be adjusted in some way to allow for and account for those different geographical variations? Because they're right now they're not; they're just they're assuming the same same factors across all. So really important implications for the people actually doing this work who are using those models daily. Um, are those appropriate? Exactly. And I was just coming up with this, uh, looking at another paper and thing that I'm working on, and it, it is basically like talking about, okay, we have these great models, but the models are only as good as the data that we have, that we put into them to, to you know, extrapolate stuff. So if we don't yeah. have the most up-to-date data, then the models aren't going to be as good. Or if you have inaccurate data because it's actually not the same and you're assuming it's the same that's a major problem and we've seen that in, in previous studies where they've actually again we've we've gotten to the point where we do understand some of those more you know more nuanced differences and it's like oh actually now we have to go back and readjust in the picture definitely not what we thought it was right so Thank it has you. really big implications for some of these larger when they're using these to scale up and make population level management decisions or conservation decisions those are really important things to get correct yeah, and again, understanding that the that there is that variability between different areas and different populations, mm -hmm. and they're not just because of the same species doesn't mean they do the exact same thing in those different areas. And even small changes in inputs in the model can have large effects on their ability to survive, especially what's happening with climate change and just the different weather and, and contaminants and everything else that these stressors that these animals have. Um, we need to really have a good grasp on their current situation to be able to put into those models so we can project to the future and really help them. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so they, we need regionally specific foraging models is kind of the big <laughs> end point of this. Uh, very cool study about sea otters and what they're eating and using a measurement of a sea otter paw, which I think is one of the best things that came from this as well. Pretty, pretty cool. It's a paw cool. one. I get two paws up. Yay. Um, so this was a rapid consumption of kelp crab implications for sea otters in Washington state in the Northwestern naturalist, naturalist Johnson et al. 2023. I will have the link in the paper. Um, this one, I may not be open access. I think I had to request this one. Um, but I'll have the link that you can, um, go see the abstract and you can always reach out to the author for a copy if you need. Um, and that is it for us. So don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, next time will be a marine mammal highlight. So check out the Instagram and Facebook stories to vote on your favorite one of the two marine mammals we put up. <laughs> uh, and so you can decide what we get to talk about next. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast now. Um, subscription gives you access to um, uh, ad free episodes and also uh, little mini episodes that we uh, will be posting each month. Um, and we'll have another one coming up soon for that. So subscribe and, and that, that all the money goes back to helping us produce the episodes uh, as well as doing our research uh, and education initiatives. So thank you for your support. Uh, and if you can't subscribe or support, then share, share with everybody else. Um, sharing is a great way to support us as well. So tell everybody how much fun we are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that will be it for us and we will see you next time. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.